again, today is the second part of our Dulling the Mind, and I found that there's so much material, I couldn't even squeeze it all into this one. So some of it's going to probably flow over into some other messages um, later on into the week uh, to be brought up. Um, our scripture reading for today comes from Proverbs chapter 10, um, starting at verse 17. And the scripture, the Bible says, Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. When thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. Building the mind part two. And this is, of course, a part of our series for this week, the mind of Christ. Let us pray, Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We thank you, Lord, for your truth. And Lord, that uh, your truth endures forever. Lord, we ask uh, that you make me just a nail upon the wall. A rusty, sorry nail, Lord. And upon that nail, Lord, we ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let Eric Walsh not be seen or heard. Instead, Father, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to jump to the book of Mark, the sixth chapter. Go through a Bible story, and then we're going to really get into some, a little bit more of the kind of science um, and spiritual uh, combination that we, that we did yesterday. Mark 6 and verse 21 says, And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, his captains, and chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it to thee. So this is the daughter of Herod's wife, who um, was once Herod's brother's wife. And so uh, there was some uh, uh, drama, as it were, um, in the family dynamic, of course. Um, their sin had been called out by John the Baptist. So as this party is going on, John the Baptist is sitting in a dungeon. Um, uh, Herodias... Um, sent her daughter in to dance because she wanted to lower the um, inhibitions, in a sense, of the mighty Herod. Uh, she had an agenda because she was still very upset that John the Baptist had called out their sin. Mark 6 and verse 23 says, And he sware unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it to thee unto the half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, of course, was a great man of God, the forerunner for Jesus Christ. Um, if we had time today, I would actually describe how even this experience of him going to prison helped to purify even the character of John the Baptist. Um, this was a difficult time, difficult for him, difficult for his disciples. John the Baptist was left there in prison. And verse 25 says, And she came in straightway with haste unto the king, Herod, and asked, saying, I will, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. So the request is for John the Baptist's head. Verse 26, And the king was exceeding sorry. 
Yet for his oath's sake, and for the sake, and for their sake which sat with him, he would not reject her. And this is a big part of what we're going to pull out today, creating an atmosphere where people are less able to reject evil and to push back against temptation. The human brain functions in a certain way. And it, and Herodias, she knew what she was doing. Um, and tonight, I mean, you can see that one of the things is that it was at a feast where alcohol was being served, where there was peer pressure from those at, at the feast to, to move him in a direction. Once he made the promise, it would be difficult for him to pull back from it. And Mark 6, 27 says, and immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. What a, a gory, morbid scene as they brought the head of God's servant out on a platter and um, passed it around like a trophy. Uh, and this, of course, is the challenge of our message tonight. How do you get someone like Herod, who had gone from someone who did not like John the Baptist, but as John the Baptist stayed with him in, the, in this fortress, in the dungeon, and the king seems to have visited with him, he began to like John the Baptist. In fact, his words, we're told, um, began to quicken in Herod. It was very difficult for Herod to do this, and this is why Herodias knew she had to set a trap to get him to do this, and she did. She was able to get him uh, to, to join in and to do it. And the Spirit of Prophecy, uh, Desire of Ages, page 220 to 221, says it like this. Herod believed John to be a prophet of God, and he fully intended to set him at liberty, but he was delayed in his purpose for, from fear of Herodias. Herodias knew by that by direct measures, she could never win Herod's consent to the death of John, and she resolved to accomplish her purpose by stratagem. On the king's birthday, an entertainment was to be given to the officers of state and the nobles of the court. There would be feasting and drunkenness. Herod, Herod would, be, would thus be thrown off his guard and might then be influenced according to her will. When, that great, when the great day arrived, and the king with his lords was feasting and drinking. Herodias sent her daughter into the banquet, banqueting hall to dance with the entertainment of the guests. Salome was in the first flush of womanhood, and her voluptuous beauty captivated the senses of the lordly revelers. It was not customary for ladies of the court to appear at these festivals, at these festivities, and a flattering compliment was paid to Herod when this daughter of Israel's priests and princes danced for the amusement of his guests. The king was dazed with wine. Passion held sway, and reason was dethroned. He saw only the hall of pleasure with its reveling guests, the banquet table, the sparkling wine, and the flashing lights, and the young girl dancing before him. In the recklessness of the moment, he desired to make some display that would exalt him before the great men of his realm. With an oath, he promised to give the daughter of Herodias whatever she might ask, even to the half of his kingdom. There are many things that we're going to talk about as we go through the week. Some of it we kind of talked about already. Um, we talked about music and television yesterday, 
clearly there would have been music playing as she danced. Um, her dancing would be like, you know, the effect of visual of entertainment. Um, there's also the wine, which we'll talk about later on in the week, and the impact of alcohol um, on lowering inhibitions and uh, moving people to make decisions that they would otherwise never make. But the other part of it, the other part of it here is this. Um, the food that was actually spread out. Can food and a feast, and especially in a time of revelry like this, can it actually impact our decision-making? Um, and it was all of these things. It was the feast, it was the alcohol, the friends, the music, the dance. All of this moved um, Herod uh, to make a decision he would later regret. He did not want to kill John the Baptist, but because of the circumstances, he did. So Desire of Ages, page 101, says it like this, as a prophet, John was to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In preparing the way for Christ's first advent, he was a representative, he was a representative of those who are to prepare a people for our Lord's second coming. One of the lessons of this story, according to the Desire of Ages, page 101, is that John the Baptist represents those as he prepared the way for Christ's first coming and mission. He represents those of us that will be alive today, preparing folk for Christ's second coming. Now, how did John the Baptist do this? He would remember he from when he was before he was born, instruction was given to his mother. John the Baptist never lived or, or lived very little time around lots of people. He pulled out to, uh, to the countryside. Uh, he ate a very specific diet, dressed a very specific way. A lot of the reforms that we talk about are embodied when you read the life of John the Baptist. Diet reform, dress reform, country living, um, the proclaiming of the messages. In our case, it would be the three angels' messages. So we're going to focus on one part of this um, to find out what made John the Baptist special and able to stand no matter what, and what made King Herod fold when he knew, knew to do better. So Revelation 7 to introduced a little further um, the the concept of um, the concept of the of the frontal lobe and um, the decision making and the importance of the mind. Revelation 7 and verse 2 says, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So there are these four angels in verse 1 we didn't read. Holding back the winds of strife, another angel, a fifth angel comes on the scene and says, listen, you can't destroy everything, the, the earth, the sea, the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. What is represented by the forehead and, and why is it important? We talked a little bit about this earlier in the week, but this is where the frontal lobe sits. This is the part of the brain where we make decisions, where we reason. It, again, it, if you lay the body out like a sanctuary, this is the most holy place in our body. If our body is a temple, this is the most holy place. This is where our conscience sits, like the Ten Commandments in the Ark. Our much of our memory is as housed here. Um, this is where we make decisions, um, and we have higher brain function. We're going to talk about gamma rays a little later on. Uh, Isaiah one uh, eighteen says, "Come now and let us reason together," saith the Lord. 
Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What this tells us is that your ability to reason, and we talked about the fact that one of the major um, things the frontal lobe does is it is the center for reasoning in the human mind. This is where you think. Um, so God says, come, let us reason together. Reason about what? About your salvation. You're a sinner. So we're going to reason about how it is that you remove your sins and be made pure and clean. In other words, the frontal lobe is where salvation takes place. From a decision-making process, it is in the frontal lobe, or we also call it the prefrontal cortex. Ephesians 6, to, to really hammer this point home, Ephesians 6 says it like this, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So what is the, when you have the, when you take a look at the, um, the whole armor of God, the helmet is the part that protects your mind, your brain. That's where salvation sits. So the, the salvation is like a helmet. Once you make a decision, it is the part of God's armor um, that works to protect and preserve your uh, salvation. Philippians 3.18 says it like this, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that ye are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So the enemies of the cross of Christ, how does Paul describe that further? He says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things. Their God is their belly and they mind. Their mind is always stuck on earthly things. We're going to talk a little bit about appetite and diet tonight. And I want to start with a quote that I get from um, a Pastor um, James Kyle, a doctor physician out in Los Angeles. And I heard him preach a health message once. And, and he said this a few times in that message. He said, your body will conspire to kill you. If you give your body... <clears throat> Everything it asks for, everything it craves, your body will literally conspire to kill you. If you ate the ice cream every time, the French fries every time, the chips every time, the hamburgers, if you go on and on, if you, if you give your body everything it wants, even in the realm of sex and uh, sexuality, in the realm of um, uh, alcohol and drugs, if, if you get a taste for something and it's not good for you, your body is very likely to crave it. If you give your body everything it asks for, your body will conspire to kill you. Ellen White says it like this, the Great Controversy, page 338. We must exert all our wisdom and, su and subtlety to deceive, to this, and this is from the chapter, The Snares of Satan, where, 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 so this is, this is as if Satan is speaking. We must exert all our wisdom and subtlety to deceive and ensnare those who honor the true Sabbath. We can separate many from Christ by worldliness, lust, and pride. They may think themselves safe because they believe the truth. Here's the kicker. But indulgence of appetite or the lower passions, which will confuse judgment and destroy discrimination, will cause their fall. The enemy knows that if he can get our appetites off track, he can get us off track spiritually. And so how does he do it? So uh, Tina was so kind to mention an interaction we had about um, um, how to help people quit smoking and using index cards. And I still do that today myself. I tell people to take an index card right on one side, one reason they want to quit smoking. And on the other side, write 
a Bible promise. Now, not everybody's Christian that I come across. So I'll tell them to write a motivational thought. But if I can, I tell them to write a Bible verse. I can, and one index card for every cigarette in a pack, 20 cigarettes in a pack. So you write one. Um, if, if they can come up with 20 of them, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nothing is impossible with God. Uh, and, and some of the verses that we're going to use today, actually, to get them to do this. But Ellen White says, why is it so important that we push back against bad habits? This is from Signs of the Times, August 6, 1912. She says, it is by a repetition of acts that habits are established and character confirmed. It is by a repetition of acts that habits are established and character confirmed. So when you do something over and over again, it becomes a habit. When you keep doing the habit, the habit makes your character. Um, and what is it? We always say the only thing you get to take with you to heaven is your character. Your character sits in your frontal lobe. This is why in the book of Revelation, it says God is going to write his name on our foreheads. What does that mean? Well, names in the Bible represent your character. That's why character. That's why Abram became Abraham, and Sarai became Sarah, and uh, O'Shea became Joshua. And you can go on and on. Name changes. A name represents someone's character. This is why the scripture talks about us doing things, um, in, in essence, um, to exalt the name of God. It's the character of God we're looking to exalt. Um, to have the mind of Christ is to have the character of Christ. It all goes together. So when you get bad habits, literally you can form a character that is not uh, like Christ's character. How does that happen? I'm not gonna go into my whole uh, bit on this, but here is um, a habit on a nerve cell. And what we know is that these cells, there's acetylcholine, um, and the dendrites that work to, 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 to create uh, memory. So every time you do something, it gets easier and easier to do it. And after a while, your, your body actually creates these boutons, or French for buttons, that it puts there. And this is an actual electron micrograph uh, picture from electron microscopy. But the boutons fill up with extra acetylcholine. So that when you go to play the piano the next time and you made this new bouton, it's that much easier to hit the right note. Um, uh, when you go to, um, you know, type on the computer, every time you create a little more buttons, it becomes easier and easier the more you use the keyboard. Um, but the same is true if you have a bad habit, if you don't study when you're supposed to, if you neglect your prayer life, if you um, take up a habit of smoking, part of it is dopamine mediated, meaning there's actual chemical, uh, neuro chemical addiction, but part of it is also the hand-mouth part of using a cigarette based in the acetylcholine. We've got to be able to, 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 to ask God to help us to bend habits if we're going to have the character of Christ, if we're going to have the mind of Christ. And what we're going to talk about tonight is probably the most common area and many of us as Christians fall, just like it was used against Herod and used by John the Baptist to strengthen himself, the choice of foods we eat and the, and the appetites we develop can help to form our minds for earth or for um, eternity. Uh, so here's the thing on the human brain and food addiction. Dopamine receptor sites trigger a rush of pleasure in the brain and body every time you eat something high in salt, sugar or fat, you experience happy chemicals, that's dopamine, that create a pathway in your brain, thus resulting in a habit that leads to addiction. So you have two different ways that you develop this bad habit. One of them, of course, is acetylcholine mediated, as we show here, 
But the other one, of course, is dopaminergic pathways. Um, and we'll talk more about that in a second. Um, but it is a powerful force because we need food. It is very easy. And it is on this point, remember, that Adam and Eve were first tempted and failed. It's on this point that the children of Israel were tested, in a sense, with manna and failed to some extent. It is on this point that Daniel and the three Hebrew boys were tempted as they got to Babylon, whether or not to eat the king's meat or to drink of his wine, and they passed. And Jesus, of course, was tempted 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness without food. The first thing Satan tries to do is to get him to turn stones to bread. And Jesus, of course, passes. This is a key component to salvation and can be it is overlooked by the majority of Christians in the world. But it, but it cannot be. So if we're going to look at how food can be addictive, there's a lot of ways it can happen. I'll give you this. This is just an example before we get into other things like sugar. So it's something as simple as cheese, which many, you know, I grew up, you eat cheese. Cheese is probably um, is a staple to the American diet. Um, we don't have all of the fancy cheeses available to us daily as they would in like France, but we clearly have a lot of cheese in our diet. And this, look at this, this study reveals that cheese triggers the same part of the brain as many drugs. How does it do this? Because the casein, which is uh, the, the one of the proteins in milk, in cow's milk, um, humans have a form of casein. The ratios are different. Cow's milk has a higher ratio of casein, and it's a different form of casein than human casein, obviously, because it is designed to turn calves into cows. So when you drink milk, the casein cascades through your body. If you have a malignancy developing, the casein will help it to grow fast like it helps a calf to grow fast. So it is also addicting because those caseins break down into casomorphins, casomorphins, which are related in a sense um, in the way that they function in the brain to things like heroin and, and other opiates. So it's not nearly as strong, you know, it's not the same kind of an addiction, but it is a steady, low-grade um, pleasure that the brain gets out of the cheese, which is one of the reasons why you talk to people, it's often more difficult for them to give up cheese than to give up any other food, any other foods. The number one food on the list of addicting foods um, is, the, is pizza. Part of that is because it is a mix of salt, sugar, and fat um, with plenty of cheese in most cases on top of it. So... Cheese does not do good for part of your body that we just recently, science has really been focusing in on. And that is the gut microbiome. Um, we, When I was in medical school, no one ever mentioned this. We thought the colon job was just to pull water back out, pass the stool through it. Um, we didn't think much more of it. What we now know is that, in fact, it is critical that, there are more, that you have more genetic material of bacteria in your colon than you have human uh, uh, genetic material in your entire body. There's a symbiotic relationship with hundreds of species of, of bacteria, but also virus, fungi, and fungi in your colon that, res that exist in a certain balance and release things that can help or hurt you. When you eat the wrong foods, the gut microbiome can be damaged, and that can cause devastating effects on our health because um, a big portion of our immune system is actually in our digestive tract, which makes sense because you eat things from the outside world, um, you swallow them down, they're covered with bacteria and virus or whoever knows what, your, your body has to have a defense. The gut microbiota is, is a huge concept that is, that is beginning to support the, the health message that Adventists um, have, as, have ascribed for so long. 
So what does it do? Well, you can see in step one, it um, these bacteria produce essential uh, nutrients like vitamin uh, K and B12. It converts dietary fiber into useful short-chain fatty acids. What we know about these short-chain fatty acids, if you eat the right fiber, these short-chain fatty acids go into the bloodstream. And when they get into the bloodstream, they actually help to curb appetite. They tell your body, they help to tell your body that you're full. Um, so if you eat a low-fiber diet, full of cheese and meat you can't you're not these fat these fatty acids are formed to help tell you that you're full of course acts as the front doors i just said 70 percent of the immune system is in the gut so it's very important what you eat then matters you see fiber here uh is a key important goal and americans are malnourished not because we don't have enough calories but at least for one thing because we don't have enough fiber so you're literally eating more than enough food, but still malnourished because you're not getting a key uh, ingredient of food in fiber. So this one says it takes guts. Um, uh, a substance is secreted by the microbes into the gut may infiltrate blood vessels for a direct route to the brain. So the bacterial residents of the intestines may influence neurons and the brain through several routes. There's a direct path that can come across the gut barrier into the bloodstream. The microbes uh, prompt neuropod cells in the gut lining to stimulate the vagus nerve, which connects directly to the brain. Uh, more directly, microbes activate um, enteroendocrine cells in the gut lining, which sends hormones throughout the body. And even more indirectly, gut microbes influence immune cells and inflammation, which can affect the brain. So uh, there's a lot to unpack, but I'll say it like this. What really happens is, and Herod was kind of a victim of it. When you eat, what you eat can actually change your mood, uh, change how you defend against infection. Um, but the inflammation, we're going to come back to, inflammation is the recurring theme. When, um, you, and I'll show you some examples of it, when you eat inflammatory foods, they cross the, the, the gut barrier into the bloodstream. They can also cross the blood-brain barrier, get into your brain. And you can have inflammatory components entering your brain and causing you to be in a, in a, in a, in a hyper-inflammatory state, a pro-inflammatory state, not just all over your body, which causes a lot of chronic diseases like heart disease and high blood pressure and even diabetes to some extent, but it can get into your brain and there mess with your brain to make you not think straight, to make you more prone to anxiety and depression. I believe one day America will figure out and the world will figure out that in fact, the the, the rise in, in some of the mental health disorders, um, cases of anxiety and depression had more to do with food than anything else. In fact, I would argue that even some of the childhood things we deal with, like attention deficit, uh, hyperactivity disorder, and other things, will have some component of it being contributed by food. Maybe not all of it, but at least some of it. So here's an example. TMAO, uh, trimethylamine uh, N-oxide, uh, a metabolite derived from gut bacteria. TMAO is produced in the body from dietary carnitine. Carnitine is found in animal muscle tissue. This is why it doesn't matter if you get free-ranged meat, if you get the meat straight off of the land, if you get the fish straight out of the water or the chicken straight out of your backyard, and it never was in a processing plant, which of course is a horrible place for animals for a lot of reasons. Even it's just the muscle tissue itself. So TMAO is not an uh, carnitine is not an essential um, nutrient uh, because our bodies actually make it. But when we take it in. Um, uh, TMAO um, is produced 
by the, by the bacteria. When we eat the carnitine, our gut bacteria breaks it down into a molecule called TMA, which is converted by our liver to TMAO. And the studies show that vegans and vegetarians produce less TMAO from the carnitine than omnivores, suggesting that the regular consumption of meat changes our microbiome to a proatherogenic profile or pro-inflammatory because atherogenesis is an inflammatory state as well. So here, if inflammation comes into your body, it will cause multiple diseases, heart disease being one of them, as it shows here. But again, it can cross the blood-brain barrier and affect the way you think. And remember, it's your frontal lobe you're trying to protect. It is the helmet of salvation. So if you eat meat, there's actually an effect on the brain through the process of inflammation. Now, it may be milder in some, more major in others, um, but this is part of the process. And so um, of course, just eating meat regularly, you change the, 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 um, the composition of the different types of gut bacteria so that you can make, that you make TMAO. If you stop eating meat, you don't, you stop making those bacteria, which tells you that the way we feel and think is driven, um, in part by what we eat regularly, because it will impact our gut microbiota, which will then impact other parts of our bodies as we, as we see, um, the other thing to just mention, of course, is that there's a whole nother nervous system attached to the gut, the enteric nervous system. This is why you feel, oh man, that was like a punch to the gut, or you know, I'm sick to my stomach when you hear bad news. Um, there's feelings in the gut itself. So it's even more complicated than just uh, this. How we eat um, and how we see the world is majorly um, attached to that. So how else does meat contribute to this? Um, in when you eat meat again, even if it's if it's uh, um, you know farmed fresh or free ranged, um, there are over a hundred million bacteria per quarter pound of beef. Endotoxins exist even after the meat is cooked or even placed in acid, like our stomachs. Saturated fat in the meat products help the endotoxins cross the gut into the bloodstream, causing inflammation. So certain foods such as meat appear to harbor bacteria that can trigger inflammation, even when the bacteria is dead or alive, even when the food is fully cooked. This is one of the reasons why meat eating is not good for us and why the studies continue to show that a whole food plant-based diet is better. Because if you remove the meat or replace it with plants, you don't get these effects. It becomes um, um, anti-inflammatory. You can actually change your diet from pro-inflammatory to anti-inflammatory. Tom Brady will be playing in the Super Bowl this weekend. I know most of you probably don't follow football, uh, but he is he purports a, a, a diet that's more whole food, more plant-based, um, because he's looking for this pro um, this anti-inflammatory effect so he can play at an older age. Um, so the inflamed brain. Well, what happens? You get a bit of anxiety and depression. And I can tell you that one of the things God does not want you is anxious. He does not want you depressed. In the presence of the Lord, there is joy. We talked about this, I think, yesterday. If you're in God's presence, you should experience joy. So you shouldn't be experiencing depression. Um, if you're in the presence of God, you should feel, uh, through faith, um, uh, the removal of fear or anxiety. Second Timothy 1 and verse 7 says it like this. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I, you know, when I've, I, this is one of the verses I would actually give smokers to write on their um, index cards because cigarette smoking often um, has everything to do with a fear of, of life itself. You know, you get anxious, you get nervous, something's going right, something's going wrong. 
and you want a cigarette. So um, you, this is a good good verse to read. And I thought always that this was just a statement of faith and trust. You know, I'm just going to trust God. But I'm starting to realize that there are other influences. Um, we'll, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about marijuana and alcohol later in the week. But the, by the way that these two um, chemicals, the, the chemicals in alcohol and marijuana, um, interact with the brain, they impact GABA and glutamate. Um, and they can, they can give you more of a sense of anxiety. Marijuana is known for the panic state it causes. Um, alcohol for the depressive states it can cause. Um, and so when you look at this, um, that's just marijuana and alcohol. But food can have these kind of influences, as we're going to talk more about. So when, when God has not given us the spirit of fear, God also gave us the way that we should eat. Uh, it's prescribed in Genesis and all through the scripture, Daniel chapter one, um, the way that Elijah was fed by the ravens, um, the manna fell from heaven. God gives all of these clues. Um, and, if we, and he also discourages the use of alcohol. If you look at all of it in its entirety, part of the way that God gives us a spirit, God gives us a spirit of power, of love and of a sound mind, is by giving us the entire health message. And again, trust in God is one of the most important aspects. So specifically what happens with the standard American diet, which we abbreviate as the SAD diet, what happens? Well, you have salt, sugar, and fat. This is a book. We just interviewed Michael Moss for one of the uh, programs that I do. Um, this is a great book. I've been on a panel with him in Los Angeles before. Salt, sugar, and fat. And when you look at the salt, the sugar, and the fat, you realize um, the, the combination of these things, the, in, the food industry literally designs the food, just like I'm sure Herodias made sure that Herod had the right foods that night and the right wine that night to, to make the decision she wanted. The food industry designs the food so that you'll eat it. We talked to one food insider in one of our one of the conversations that we had for one of my programs, and um, he said, what you got to understand with the food industry is that the business of business is business. They want to make food so hyper palatable. And in a sense, even habit forming, that you eat it, you can't stop eating the food. So Pringles, or maybe 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 it's not Pringles, but one of the uh, potato chip companies says, once you pop, you can't stop. They say, um, bet you can't eat just one. The, the tobacco industry got in trouble because the tobacco industry said our food is not, our, our products, our cigarettes, our products are not addicting. The food industry tells you straight out, once you pop, you can't stop. Um, and it is because of what they've designed in salt, sugar, and fat. We had time to just go into this. They create the bliss point. How, they, they study how food crunches and it affects dopamine in the brain. Um, they study how these foods mix together uh, to once you digest them to release dopamine in the brain um, and to become more and more habit forming. They have a concept called the, the vanishing calorie, where you eat like a um, like a Cheeto or hot Cheeto, and it, you take a few crunches. The brain thinks, ah, crunchy, like an apple or or like or like celery something good is coming but then it just dissolves the powder in your mouth so you keep eating it because your brain keeps thinking nutrient is coming behind it it's an incredible field of study to get you to do that and one of the main things i won't be able to get into some of the other foods today but one of the main things is of course sugar sugar's uh, chemical structure i should have put a picture of it up is very similar to that of alcohol not very different um, but it, and it has some pretty profound effects on the brain. Excessive glucose, sugar, in the form of refined sugar can be very detrimental to your brain. 
ultimately affecting your attention span. I want you to hear this. We talk a lot about attention deficit disorder. It can affect your attention span, your short-term memory, and your mood stability. How does it do this? Well, one of the things that happens when you eat lots of sugar is you get a sugar rush. Insulin shoots up behind the increase in blood sugar levels and then brings it down rapidly. When it's because glucose is the primary fuel of the brain, you get all that sugar, you get all amped up, you get all riled up, you, 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 you kind of hyper-focus, it drops out and you get dull. And this is why kids who eat, you know, a sugary breakfast and go to school by third or fourth period, a lot of times they're not even, you know, it's difficult for them to focus or to stay awake. But it's more than that. It blocks membranes and thereby slows down neuronal, uh, neural communication, increases free radical inflammatory stress on your brain. Free radicals can actually rupture cells, causes neurons to misfire and send erroneous messages that take time and energy to sort out, increases uh, the delta, alpha, and theta brainwaves, which are the slower brainwaves. I'll show you that more about that in a second, which makes it harder to think clearly, eventually damages your neurons. So I want you to look at this. What we're finding here is that when we are told in the scripture um, uh, that the to have this mind in us that was also in Christ Jesus. And we're told to take the helmet of salvation. We are told in Isaiah 118 to reason with God around our salvation. High doses of sugar actually remove your, make it more difficult to do that. This is really the crux of the matter. Your brain can be dulled by what you eat. The fat in the meat, allows the toxins to cross in, inflame the brain, sugar does a very similar thing here. It actually can come in and cause you to not think straight. If you want your kids to do well in school, do not give them refined sugars. If they want something sweet, they should be eating grapes. They should be eating apples and blueberries. They should be eating bananas. They should be eating um, you know, whole foods. And on Guam, you guys have some amazing fruits. They should be eating whole foods um, in order to get their to get the, the feeling of something sweet because then they get the fiber with it which feeds the gut bacteria to be able to have a good balance and hence decrease inflammation that way um and also avoids the sugar rush because the fiber will more evenly distribute the sugar as it passes through the, the digestive tract so that you don't get the massive spikes in sugar if you want your child to be healthy, if you want your child to think straight, if you want your child to do well in school, one of the first things you would do is to remove processed sugars. Why? Because what processed sugars do is, as just was mentioned, it, it um, keeps you in beta, alpha, and theta. Delta is a, is a, is a deep sleep without dreams. Where you want to be, if you want your child to function well, is to be easy for your child to go up into the gamma waves, up at the top. A poor diet. And the use of alcohol and marijuana knocks you out of gamma. I want you to get this, church. This is important because I believe that to some extent, to interact with God properly, to make a decision for him properly, you've got to have spent enough time on the, in the gamma um, uh, uh, ray, wave um, uh, frequencies up at the top of this chart. You've got to be up there a lot to think straight. Does the Bible support this? Absolutely. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 6 says, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. The most sober you are is up here in gamma. Um, 
The most able you are to watch is up here in Gamma. You learn better up here. It's your peak performance. This is where you want to be. The devil wants to knock you down here, and he does that through television, which brings you down into alpha waves and make you more likely to absorb what's being said. He does it by alcohol and marijuana, which knocks you out of Gamma as well by its interaction with glutamate and GABA. This is where you want to be in the gamma wave. This is where the Christian is called to be. We're called to be sober, to be thinking. That's what we're called to be. Constantly vigilant. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, walketh about like a roaming lion seeking whom he may devour. If you are in the alpha wave, the devil's not. He's somewhere between two and three pounds of sugar each week. Over the last 20 years, our national, our national sugar consumption exploded in the last 20 years from 26 pounds to 135 pounds of sugar per person annually. That is astronomical. Compare that to sugar consumption in the late 1800s when the average consumption was five pounds per person per year. They ate whole foods back then. At time, incidentally, when heart disease and cancer was virtually unknown, and you don't have to look in this at this from a historical perspective. The truth of the matter is, when you look around the world, at parts of the world where they don't eat processed foods, they still have low, lower rates of cancer and lower rates of, of heart disease. So one research group of Wisconsin, uh, University of Wisconsin, found that the brain may react to excess refined sugars found in food as if they were a virus or a bacteria. The resulting immune response may cause cognitive deficits, such as those associated with Alzheimer's disease. So a bad diet, there's many ways it can affect long-term brain function. Alzheimer's disease is a scourge, one of the things we fear the most. But there, a lot of people don't know that how we eat may very well have a big impact on the sugar here you see may impact it but if it impacts it this way for the long term could it affect the brain and the cognitive function in the short run if you eat a whole bunch of sugar right now does it message your brain most of us would say yeah you get a bit of a brain fog but um bad diet with high cholesterol from animal products like cheese and meat, um, saturated fat from cheese and meat, you add in the sugar from the refined food. So you look at a typical cheeseburger or piece of pizza with, with meat on it and cheese. Literally what's happening is on the one hand, the sugary part of it, which is what the white flour of the pizza crust or the, or the bun of the bread turns into, literally what happens is it, you get the direct effect of the sugar, but you also get the the, the cumulative effect of the damage to the arteries being in a hyperinflammatory state and then laying down all of that cholesterol, which causes the, the plaques, which ultimately cause, can cause strokes, even tiny strokes. One of the most common reasons people get dementia is what we call multi-infarct dementia, multi-infarct dementia. So they're getting little tiny strokes for years until finally the cumulative effect is that you look like a, as someone who might have Alzheimer's. So if you want your brain healthy for the long run, if you want the mind of Christ all the way through, remember Moses was 120 years old when he climbed the last mountain to lay down and die. The Bible says that his sight was not dimmed and his strength had not abated. He was just as strong, just as sharp, just as clear as he was when he was younger. That has a lot to do with how Moses lived, how Moses ate, how Moses functioned and thought. Here, the number, number another one from, from um, Psychology Today, high blood sugar coupled with performing a mentally challenging task is associated with high levels of cortisol, a stress hormone known to impair memory. So you take your child, you feed them honey buns and pop tarts and um, honey-coated cereals and sugary cereals, and we and 
put in cow's milk and you send your child to school. Well, they've got all of the bad components of a diet in, the, in, in, in their breakfast. They go to school and their sugar levels are high and the teacher asks them to perform mentally challenging tasks. Well, what happens? Now your child is releasing cortisol, stress hormone, um, because of what they ate and because of what they're being asked to do. And here's the irony. You want your child to go to school in memory, but what the studies are showing is when your child eats like this, or when we as adults eat like this, we release all of this cortisol and it actually impairs our ability to remember. Why is this important? Have you ever thought about it? The fourth commandment is the only one that starts with the word remember. Our ability to remember, to remember what God has done for us, to remember the scripture, to remember the commandments, to remember the love of God, the mercy he's shown us is all tied into this. This is why these things begin to affect salvation. Uh, because when you're stressed out and cortisol is released, one of the things that happens is, this is the normal response, cortisol normally turns down the inflammatory response of immune cells. But when when we um, are stressed out for any reason, including from a diet, you develop cortisol resistance and you are unable to stop the inflammatory response. And here you get all of these stressors that go back into the brain. The brain itself becomes chronically stressed because you cannot turn down the inflammatory response of the immune system because your cortisol levels are always high and your body's not resistant to it. Diet can do that. And of course, going back to it, if you don't trust in God, like John the Baptist did, John the Baptist died without even uh, an ounce of stress. I believe John the Baptist, when the time for him to die came, John the Baptist took his fate because he had challenged Jesus, um, sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? And Jesus sent him back an answer um, through his disciples. John the Baptist, the spirit of prophecy says, was corrected in that. I believe John the Baptist grew into a state of perfection in Christ Jesus. He, he, was, he was transformed even further, as good a man as he was his whole life. In the dungeon, God even moved him more. When the, when the executioner cannot let life stress you out, you've got to put your trust in God. Um, that's the key to having the mind of Christ is to leave your burdens at the foot of the cross. What happens? You can see this, this loop and cycle here. Chronic stress comes from inadequate sleep, poor nutrition, emotional distress. It increases glucocorticoids like adrenaline, uh, cellular changes in the hippocampus. Um, so what is that? Ha what happens there? You get less attention, less perception. You decrease short-term memory, decrease learning, and you can't find words. You see how stress does all of that. And then it comes on here. You get decreased regulation of cortisol. And so you get more glucocorticoids and you get this flywheel-like effect where you where this happens, your ability to focus. This is why folk come to church. They can't really focus. They can't take things in. They, can't, they, don't, they say, hey, I try to read the Bible and I can't focus. I can't concentrate. I can't do it for long. And part of that is because we have, we're feeding ourselves and stressing ourselves into a place where we can't um, uh, always focus and stay in those gamma waves that we talked about earlier. So cortisol's function, um, cortisol's functions are part of the natural process of the body. In moderation, the hormone is perfectly normal and healthy. Its functions are multiple. Um, in addition to restoring balance to the body after a stress event, cortisol helps regulate blood sugar uh, levels in cells and has utilitarian value in the hippocampus where memories are stored and processed. But when chronic stress is experienced, this is called allostatic load, by the way. The body makes more cortisol than it has a chance to release. This is when 
cortisol and stress can lead to trouble. High levels of cortisol weird, can wear down the brain's ability to function properly. According to several studies, chronic stress impairs brain function in multiple ways. It can disrupt synapse-like regulation, resulting in a loss of so- sociability and the avoidance of interaction with others. Stress can kill brain cells and even reduce the size of the brain. It can even reduce the size of the brain. Chronic stress has a, sh- a shrinking effect on the prefrontal cortex, the area of the brain uh, responsible for memory and learning. Remember where the seal of God goes? Remember where the name of God is written? It is all in the, in the forehead, which is the frontal lobe or the prefrontal cortex. What we're learning is that stress, poor diet, can shrink the very part of the brain where the seal of God is to go, meaning where your character is to be developed. And it doesn't matter on the other side. The mark of the beast is given in the frontal lobe as well. They, some people get the mark in their forehead. Some people get it in their hand. Those are they may be those who don't even can't even think straight. And we live in a time, like I said before, we live in a time where we're no longer in an age of inflam, in, in an age of information. We're in an age of influence. You need a frontal lobe to critically assess and look at what is going on in the in the world. While stress can shrink the prefrontal cortex, it can increase the size of the amygdala, which can make the brain more receptive to stress. Cortisol is believed to create a domino effect that hardwires pathways between the hippocampus and amygdala in a way that might create a vicious cycle by creating a brain that becomes predisposed to be in a constant state of fight or flight. Don't miss that. If you're in a constant state of fight or flight, constantly stressed out, um, it carries a disease burden of inflammation, poor decision-making, inability to focus. If you are to have the mind of Christ Jesus, it, it is impacted by the way we live. And this is biblical. Daniel and the three Hebrew boys. Daniel doesn't get, doesn't get the, the, the uh, doesn't, ex, doesn't, um, um, exercise the gift of prophecy until after he shows you that he can manage his diet. Um, and uh, all through the Bible, there are hints after the flood, uh, meat is, uh, is made available to mankind, and we watch his life expectancy shorten. Um, there's a lot of hints in the Bible that how important all of this. So just to, just to, just to um, really drive the point home, one study here says um, uh, study, stress shrinks the brain and lowers our ability to cope with adversity. Feeling stressed by family and work woes, it could be taking a toll on both your brain and your body. The other study from HHS, uh, from the federal government here, stress and brain atrophy. I won't get into those except to say literally your brain becomes, it can shrink. The prefrontal cortex, where the seal of God is to be placed, can actually be shrunk down. And what happens? Stressed equals desserts spelled backwards. When you get super stressed out, one of the things that happens is you literally, literally begin to crave foods that um, are comfort foods, high in salt, sugar, and fat, addictive foods. So what happens when you're stressed? You start eating the disease-forming foods. This is nutritional stress. You start eating the disease-forming foods, and as importantly, you stop eating the health-promoting foods. And this is the standard American diet. One of the reasons these foods are are you know are in abundance in poor neighborhoods and minority neighborhoods in America? They want to feed on people's stress, um, and it, it's for all Americans. Uh, but they make good money doing it by making the foods devoid of nutrients. The bread can stay on the shelf longer, so they can make these foods very cheap, um, so everyone eats it. But the food we eat can create stress in our bodies. The very food we eat can do that. Um, and that will affect the way we think. And this is food is stress. And you can see here, um, you, your diet, 
the stress negative emotions go back and forth. Both of them contribute to autonomic nervous uh, systemic activity, which is uh, like the adrenaline pathways, oxidative stress, we didn't get a chance to talk about, but the free radicals that damage the lining of the vessels and um, predispose us even to mutations in our cells that can lead to cancer. Um, and metabolic responses to food, you get this inflammation and it the inflammation itself feeds stress. And as you can see, it, it just becomes a, a vicious loop. You, you're stressed out, you have bad outcomes from the stress, you eat to try and manage the stress because when you eat foods rich in sugar and fat, it actually blunts the effect of cortisol. So you want more of those foods. That's why when you're stressed, you reach for, for those types of foods. This is why Proverbs 10, 17 says what it says. It all makes more sense now. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy priests eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. You want your kings to be eating a diet that supports they're straight thinking, they're rational thinking, and not they're not eating just for pleasure, they're eating for strength and clarity. So brain food, I'll quickly give you this um, study uh, where they took blueberries, um, uh, no blueberries and some kids going to school in the morning, a cup of blueberries or two cups of blueberries. What they found is that as the amount of blueberries in the kids increased, so did their school performance. Blueberries are shown to literally improve brain function. And luckily, I'm here in New England where there are plenty of blueberries and see when the season comes around. But eating blueberries, blackberries, dark grapes um, uh, are very good. Blue, uh, these are fruits that don't even spoil. You, you cut an apple or a banana and they brown. It takes a lot to, 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 to brown a blueberry. There's so many antioxidants that the oxidation process is very slow, which means it's very good for us, which I had more time to get into that. But there's a lot of really good foods like this and a lot of leafy green vegetables that we should be eating. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We must work to transform our minds. Uh, the, um, Revelation 7 says, 14, and I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Remember, Ellen White says that John the Baptist represents those of us at the end of time who would be proclaiming the three angels message and ushering in the second coming of Christ. We will also be persecuted. And if you're not preparing for that now, you will not be able to stand. Desire of Ages, page 224. God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. Not Enoch, who was translated to heaven, not Elijah, who ascended in a chariot of fire, was greater or more honored than John the Baptist who perished alone in the dungeon. Unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 1.29. And of all the gifts that heaven can bestow upon men, fellowship with Christ and his sufferings is the most weighty trust and the highest honor. And let me say this to you, church. It is incredible that God gave us a whole health message he gives us all of the, the doctrines that he's given us. And all of this is done. All of this is done so that we are better able, um, better able to serve him, better able to withstand the coming time of trouble. Uh, a lot of that has to do with um, diet. Um, and there are other things that we'll, we'll go through as we go through the week. But I pray today that we make the decision to not be like Herod and allow the recklessness of a night to make him make a bad decision um, or the recklessness of cumulative nights 
But instead, we make the decision of John the Baptist to live such a life that we are the best ambassadors for Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study a word and some science around the health message and the diet. I pray that each of us would make a decision to follow you in these things, to begin to remove from us the foods and the wines of Babylon. Um, Lord, help us to follow you in all these things. We want clear minds, Lord. We want space on our front lobe, a big, rich, functioning front lobe upon which for you to place the seal of the living God. Bless us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.